And we'll look ahead now to Friday night's trip to, to Dumfries against Queen of the South. David, do you get any big plans for your day out in Dumfries on Friday? And what sort of game you expect on Friday night? Um, and I, I don't know. I, I love going to Dumfries. I think it's a really great. It's it's a great it's a great day out. There's a whole bunch of different pubs and stuff like that. So I am quite excited about the game. Whenever we go to Palmerston, there's generally always quite a good atmosphere. It might be because everyone's just drinking on cans in the train, being in the pub or whatever. And, but I, I don't know. It just always always feel like us away at Palmerston is, is, a, is a good atmosphere. If you don't have a dream, you can't have a dream come true. We will beat 10th place Queen of the South. <laughs> <laughs> He's holding off the number of players there. What a save. What a save from the party thistle goalkeeper. To run where the brave dare not go. To run the unrightable rock. That's a nice touch from Graham and now Tiffany's clean through. He's got Yakubiak to his right. Tiffany goes himself. It's still Scott Tiffany! And it is the sucker punch that Queen of the South feared. Chance after chance. This will have been nowhere but a break up the park. And Scott Tiffany puts the 1 0 in front. To follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be to march into hell for a heavenly cause and I know and credit to Park Thistle it's a clinical counter attack and as Tiffany's breaking through there you're thinking is he going to try and slip in Yakubiak but it's just too easy too easy and credit to Tiffany you can see he's looking he's thinking no he drives forward himself and the manager the captain he can't get back in and he gets the strike off and he gets it past. That one man scorned and covered with scars. And there is the final whistle from Kevin Clancy. A Partick Thistle. And Scott Tiffany strike a huge blow in Queen of the South's survival bid. the unreachable star. And that's a big three points for you. Tell us how you feel about that. I thought we were utter dog meat, uh, <laughs> and Queens uh, deserve to win. Hello and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. 
joining me this week to look back on our first win in what feels like ages, Jamie McDonald. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. It was a great game on. Well, <laughs> it wasn't a great game, but it was a uh, you know it was great to actually see a win on Friday night and yeah, enjoyed it. Enjoyed a great away day. Yeah, a great away day and a great weekend for Thistle. And also here, Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you? Uh, I'm really good, actually. Um, as James just mentioned, it was great to get the win on Friday night. First away win in God knows how long. I think it was since we beat United 4-0 down their place. And then, obviously, as we spoke about, it was good to put the pressure on the teams playing on Saturday. And, in fact, some of the results went our way. So, happy days. They certainly did. We'll speak about the weekend in full, but we'll start on Friday night down at Palmerston. And Reese, I'll stick with you. What did you make of the starting eleven? The the bench was a bit more populated with Graham and Tiffany in the starting eleven. What did you make of it? Do you think that was the strongest squad we've had in a good few weeks? Oh, without doubt. Um, it was great to see. Obviously, Graham was back last week, but they looked about twenty percent fit, thirty percent fit. So it was good to see him sort of back closer to full fitness. And Tiffany coming more and more close to full fitness each week. So, yeah, it was great to see uh, with the, the squad getting more bodies in as well. The only thing that was, I think, was it the only change? Tunji dropping out for Doherty. And to be honest, I kind of expected that. I mentioned last week what's going to happen now with, with Doherty when he comes back into the team. And I, at first, when I first seen it, I thought it was a bit harsher on Tunji. I thought, I thought Akinola was brilliant last week. As you can kind of see, it's about horses for courses, really. Um, and it's good that we've got that option of playing uh, Lewis Mayo just in front of the defence now, because it just gives you that bit more solidity when we need it in certain games. Um, and it's beneficial for games such as our bro who try and bully us. But McCall's selection was obviously vindicated as I thought Ross Doherty was back to his very best. It was outstanding in my opinion. It was, I think he, he won about 20 free kicks the other night when he was getting battered all over the park. So obviously we'll come on to the performance a bit more soon. But yeah, it was. I'm happy with that team selection. Yeah, I like all your thoughts on Docker. I thought he was brilliant, especially when we went a goal up. He was the sort of experienced cam head in there. He slowed the game down. He broke up a lot of Queen's attacks. He won a lot of free kicks, slowed the game down and saw us over the line, really. So it was a, it was a captain's performance, especially in the second half from Docker. Jamie, what were your thoughts on the performance on Friday night? I don't think we looked at our best. I don't think we were like absolutely dreadful. No, McCall described us as dog mate in the post-match. I don't think we were like horrendous. I've seen us play worse this season, but we were nowhere near our best. But as we said, like it's the business end of the season. We get three points. That's all that really matters, especially now that we can mathematically secure playoffs next week with a, with a win over Rafe. I thought that you know maybe it was one of the more quiet nights for Tiffany, but then like, I don't know. It felt it was kind of weird in the first half. He seemed to be playing as a striker alongside Graham almost, and. I don't think that worked. We kind of shifted him a bit further out wide and Kubiak came on in the second half. I thought that got him involved a little bit more, led him to kind of take on his man a bit and not have to stay so central and drift a bit further wide. And then um, I thought Kubiak did very well off the bench. I thought he kind of changed the dynamic of us a bit and definitely added something going forward. And obviously Graham got a great assist. It's good to see him back and looking a bit, you know, fitter and a bit more uh, agile and mobile. And it's good to see she could see these players back because when we didn't have Graham, we didn't have Tiff, we just didn't look like a team going forward at all. And at least we did have a bit more of a threat. And Snedden as well, pulling off some great saves, especially that one in the first half. And we'll probably talk about that later. But yeah, I was, you know, we're, we're pleased with performances, three points, a clean sheet, not so much to complain about. I think your Kubiak back in the second half was key. I think when you're you're playing like that and the, the way we played with 
our backs to the wall, Queens were on top. If you've got two strikers up there, so when you're clearing the ball, you've got two men that could pick the ball up rather than just Graham, you're more likely to, to get something. And that's exactly what we got in the counter-attack with Graham flicking a ball onto Tiffany. If it was just Brian Graham up there, he might have not been in that position to flick the ball on. So that's what that, that second striker gives you. Uh, we'll talk about Snedden then, Jamie, because you mentioned him. Did you think that was his best save of the season? How good was it? I think it's definitely up there. It's kind of hard because he's made some fantastic saves this season. Like that one in the first half at Inverness, um, the first time he played up there. The one earlier in the 0-0 at Palmerston, that was a fantastic save. Though that might, To me, maybe that was his best one, that one in the 0-0 at Palmerston. But that one on Friday night was fantastic. You know, I made an array of good saves. He used to love a fantastic stop at Palmerston. The one in the last day of the 3-0, uh, I think he made one great in that. No, no cup game in the league cup uh, last season as well, and no, no earlier this season. The one no here, he seems to just love a great save at Palmerston, and yeah, it was it was a fantastic stop. Reese, what have you made of of Snedden's season so far? Yeah, it's been it's been a real coming of age for Jamie Snedden, and it's it's been great to see. I mean, what is he now 20, 24, 25, um, and he's had to wait the best part of five years to get his chance at Fissel, um, and it's probably been. He's been ready to be the number one for the past two years, really. Um, and he's always faced competition, but this season he's made it his own. Um, and I can't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, that's 38 games now this season and 20 clean sheets. That's that's ridiculous. And I, I mentioned to you guys yesterday, teams will need a goalie next season and they'll be looking about and going, right, there's a championship keeper who's very young for a goalie and he's got 20 clean sheets in our competition. Teams will definitely be sniffing around Jamie Snedden. Regarding that save the other night, he's got absolutely no right to make that save. You look at his starting position, he's actually out with the posts, um, and it's just sheer instinct, of course. And what Jamie was saying, the, the save I get from Lee Conley up at Palmerston earlier in the season was absolutely outstanding right in the top corner, but you see it coming from the best part of 20 yards. But the one the other night, it's, it's within his six-yard box, and... He's literally in front of the ball almost. The the reflex was just... I, I couldn't believe he kept out. It was absolutely outstanding. Such a strong hand. It's, it's great to see Snedden sort of make the number one spot his own. It absolutely is. I think what made the save the other night so good for me is it came off... I think it was Docker it came off. So he's almost got less time to react because he's not expecting it. If that was a striker rushing in, he's almost expecting the ball to come towards him. But he's probably not expecting it to come towards him from Docker. So that lessens his reaction time from, from what it was with the ball just a few yards away. So, yeah, it's an outstanding save to, to sort of scoop out from on the goal line. It was it was brilliant. And I think he made one just, well, about five, ten minutes after from a, a one-on-one. They had a low hand to it. And I think the referee gave a goal kick. But I think he got a little touch to it. He, he has been brilliant this season. And as you said, Jamie, as well, Palmerston seems to be his place. He made several great saves in at Palmerston now. And as you said as well, Reese teams might be sniffing, sniffing around him. And we know he's contracted for next season, but I, I don't think I'd be against offering him another year just to just to secure him for at least another year for us and, and guarantee a bit of money for him if a, if a bigger club does come in. Ian McCall did describe the, the performance as Doug Meat. That's been doing the rounds on social media. I'm going to ask before we come on to the McCall interview itself, how important is it that we can win ga- ugly games when we're playing when we're playing as poorly as we did on, on Friday night, we've seen us scrape a few victories now. This season, I can think of a few 1-0s, especially at Fur Hill on that pitch where the games are scrappy. They're maybe looking like they're going 0-0 and we, we find a goal. With playoffs coming up and a lot of fixtures coming up if we make the playoffs, how important is it that we can scrap out scrap out wins, Reese? 
Uh, it's absolutely imperative. You've seen, as you've mentioned, a couple of times already this season. I, I look back to the the two sort of games at Firhill that Kevin Holt scored in, the Inverness and the Queen of the South. We didn't deserve to win those games and we come away with 1-0 wins and it put us right in the title race, right in the picture at that point. So we come away from those games and it's almost like a, a bonus a bonus win because in your, in your mind the whole game, you're like, right, it's a point, it's a 0-0 draw and then you score those late goals and you're like, right, we're actually in a good position now. Um, and I mentioned people are saying like that was dire to watch, but I'd take I'd take Doug me every day of the week until the end of the season if it means we ultimately get where we want to be back in the Premiership. So I don't think anyone would would say any different. I mean Friday night, I agree with McCall. We didn't deserve it. Queen of the South absolutely peppered us, and um, right up until we scored, it could have been three 0 easily. I mean, and then obviously ultimately Scott Tiffany broke away on the counter and it knocked the stuffing right out of them. And that's the thing with Queen of the South, um, what, what I said before, like they look a good team, but they obviously can't finish their dinner, and that was that was proven to be the case. So if you can catch teams like that, I, I think that Rafe are kind of going through the same. Um, I watched John McGlynn's interview, um, his post-match interview from the Morton game, and he, he mentioned the same, said they battered Morton the full game, and Morton had one chance and scored. If that's going to be the case next week, and, and we take our chances, then I'm sure everyone at Forhill will be happy with that. Jamie? Yeah, I think it's absolutely crucial that we can win ugly and get points when we're not we're not playing well. I think you've done it a couple times this season, mentioned the Queen's South came at home, the Inverness came at home. I remember the Hamilton at home in the first half of the season. one one off of Lewis Melhead. It was a horrible game to watch, very boring. Didn't really create much, didn't look great, but got that all-important goal, I think, was the only shot on target in the entire game. It's those kind of games that, I look back around the end of the season and realise those are the points we absolutely had to pick up. You think back to last season when we won the title, the couple of the wins in the first half of the season were obviously ended up being crucial. Like I think we won 1-0 at Montrose. We didn't look exactly great, but we won the game 1-0. And I just remember that's one of those games where we didn't play well, we picked up three points and it ends up being crucial at the end of the season and probably going to be the exact same story this season. Because I can't imagine that the top four will be um, divided by a huge points gap. but probably only be like maybe six points in it or something like that. And third, fourth might be like three points or even less. So every every single point matters. And if we can pick them up when we're not playing well, that's even better. I, I definitely agree. And I think I think we all agree that uh, with Ian McCall's assessment, the performance was uh, dog meat on Friday night. And that's prompted a question I'm going to ask you. What is your favourite Scots adjective? So either of you can come in there. Um, I was having a right good think about this one um, and I've decided to go with Glacet. I just think it's it's such a good word and it, it sounds exactly how it should. Like it, it suits the meaning so well. I'm sure everyone knows what it means. It just means like stupid, like stupid looking. He looks pure Glacet, but I just think such a funny word and it, it's it's perfect for what it means. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose it's not really an adjective, but when people say Mar for am like Amar. I just think it, it's it's so <laughs> random, but I, I don't know. I don't even know how that. I don't know how that came about. Where that's from, but I don't know. I just find I just find it funny every time I hear it. I like Tonto. He's he's gone. He's going Tonto. I like that one. That's my favourite. But uh, Doug Meat, very accurate for Friday's game. Always good value in a in an interview. Ian McCall. We'll look ahead now to Saturday's game and the results. Um, this weekend went in Thistle's favour with Wraith losing at home to Morton. Inverness also dropped points from a winning position, so third maybe still up for grabs. But playoffs can be secured on Saturday with a, a win and likely a draw against Wraith as well. So, Jamie, what are you expecting on Saturday? Probably expect Wraith to come out and really go for us because at this point, 
what have they got to lose if they don't win this game then the playoffs I mean, it's basically all over because that goal, the goal difference is so vast that we probably don't even need to win I, mean, I want us to win but if we drew we probably would be able to confirm the playoffs for that unless we ended up going on to lose like 5-0 twice or something and Rafe won games at like 5-0 but I just can't see that happening so I think they'll come out come out the traps flying and they'll just be going for us in the get-go and putting out the best performance that they can so I think it'll probably be a close game I don't see us battering them but I don't know any three points I'll take another dog meat performance as McCall would describe it and win one now couldn't care less as long as we get the three points it's all that matters at the end of the day Reese, what sort of game are you expecting? Do you think Wraith will come out as well? You've got to imagine so, as Jamie's mentioned there. Like, it's, it's now or never for them, really. Um, and they're in a pretty bad run of form, obviously, bad in the, the cup win the other night. But they started the season so well, they were looking like a, a right good side. Uh, I don't know if they lost too many bodies in the the, the, the window just there. I know they lost Dylan Tate, and they, he obviously went to, to Kilmarnock in the end, but... I can't think of too many other that they might have lost. I know they've had injuries all throughout the season. Um, and as I said, I watched McGlynn's interview and he mentioned that they had two of their starting left-backs out, so they're playing a young boy at left-back. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens at Furhill. You're always wary of Daryl Zanata. You know, you know what will likely happen. He'll get on the score sheet, no doubt. But we've just got to hope that we, we, show, our, we show our own abilities on the day and we, we go and we clinch, clinch a playoff spot with a convincing, a convincing victory. And I'm sure... I'm sure we would all be happy. No, absolutely. I think Wraith coming out uh, and, and really going for it could suit us. Um, with Tiffany sort of getting back to back with a bit of confidence with his goal on, on Friday night, Tiffany on the counter-attack, and you think of Wraith's back four, especially with a guy like Christoph Berra right in the middle of it, they're not going to be able to cope with that sort of pace on the counter-attack. So that, and we don't score too many goals at Far Hill anyway. So if we were on top, we've not scored. I think it's we've not scored more than one goal in a game at Far Hill since October time. So playing on the counter attack and it's exploiting, um, perhaps a high back line from Wraith could work in our favour. Reese, do you want to come in? Yeah, just when you mentioned Tiffany there, I actually remember um, saying that to one of the guys I was with on Friday night. Like watching the first half, I mentioned to him Tiffany just doesn't look confident at the minute. Like. It, of course, he was always beating his man and stuff, but it was kind of, it just wasn't coming off for him. And I, I look back to last season, obviously it was League One and it was far better than that level. And I still think he's better than the Championship, definitely. But it was it was destroying teams every week. And that was just confidence building and building and building. And he obviously hadn't scored for a wee while. I think his last goal was the free kick at Hamilton where, where fans couldn't attend. But um, So it was great to see him back in the score sheet. And hopefully... That will just build his confidence leading into the, the business period of the season. So that can only be a good thing as well. Absolutely. I think maybe his, his injury and the fact his injury reoccurred when he came back at our growth might have affected his, his confidence, especially with an Achilles injury. You know, if you if you do your Achilles, that's you for about a year. So maybe he's thinking, I don't want to go in like full pelt running mode um, just in case. But maybe a goal, another... Uh, another start, another week of training and this conference is going to get back to where it was for the first five or six months of the season and that can only be good for us in the running. So, score predictions for Saturday's Saturday's game. Jamie, I'll start with you. I'm going to say we have a good performance. I mean, it'll be, I think it'll be close. I think Rafe will have chances. We'll have chances. But I'll say we take them and win 2-0. Rhys? Um... 
I, I agree with you. I think that Rafe will come out of the traps um, and it will make for a good game. And I do believe, as I said last week, it, it, well, it's got to break eventually. We will score more than one goal. Um, and I'm going to say 2-1 Jags. I like the I like the confidence. I'm going to go 1-0 again. I think it'll be another 1-0. I think our defence with a clean sheet there on Friday. Snedden, another good performance. Mayo and Holt looking solid. Our defence is in a good place again at the moment. Uh, I think we'll keep another clean sheet and I think we'll get another 1-0. Uh, and I'll, I'll say again, set-piece goal for my Kyle Turner delivery. Following on from the, the statements from the club and Three Black Cats and the Jags Foundation at the weekend, we did put the call out on Twitter to the Jags Foundation, anyone from Three Black Cats, including Jackie Lowe, if they'd like to come on to the podcast to have a chat about what's been happening recently. We received this from the Jags Foundation. They've asked us to read out this statement. Thanks for asking us on. A few weeks ago, we agreed with the club that the football needs to do the public talking until the end of the season without distractions. We will continue to respect that and so don't feel it's appropriate to take part in a podcast at this time. However, once the season has played out, we'd be happy to have a representative take part. We're yet to hear anything from the Three Black Cats or Jackie Lowe, but that remains an open invitation. We did hear from Stuart Callison. He resigned from the board of the Jags Foundation and David Forrest caught up with him earlier this week. Now I'm joined by Stuart Callison, former member of the Jags Foundation fan group, um, to talk about the recent developments in the fan ownership process. Stuart, how are you? Thank you, David. I'm good. It's been a long day. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's been a long day and it's been a long weekend, so um, we'll we'll get into it. So in terms of the fan ownership, you were um, a previous member of the Jags Foundation, so you want to talk a little bit about sort of your background and how you got involved in the Jags Foundation, what made you want to become a member of the Jags Foundation? Sure. Well, I was approached about it, like quite a number of people were. Uh, my background is I'm uh, trained professionally as an accountant, uh, but my day job is essentially a senior manager at quite a well-known charity in Scotland. So I've got quite a lot of general management experience, I suppose, plus uh, financial know-how. Uh, and I guess I thought that it would be, um, I, you know, I could contribute actually to the process of getting the shares transferred and the whole thing up and running. Um, I've been a Jags fan for a horribly, horribly long time. I was at the 1971 Cup final. My first game was in January 1970, so more than 50 years uh, of limited success, let's say. You know, at nine, you think that, well, that's just the first trophy of many, but here we are, 51 years later nearly, uh, and it hasn't really happened again. So to be quite honest and maybe a little naive sounding, actually, one of the reasons I wanted to get involved was because I thought that we can do better, and that fan ownership can be a vehicle for improving the general state of the club and its performance on and off the pitch. Uh, so that was why I thought I would give my time. It has taken a slightly different direction, shall we say. One of the reasons that you're on the podcast now is the, the recent developments um, with the fan ownership over the weekend. On Saturday, um, Thistle put out a statement on their website on behalf of Three Black Cats 
mm. um, announcing that the Jags Foundation would not be gifted the shares as was previously intonated and that the club are looking at alternative methods to continue to gift the shares on um, to the fans as well as the ground. Um, this was in response to a, there was a Jags Foundation statement uh, over the last couple of weeks about sort of difficulties in terms of the transition period and you know differences in opinion between the club and the fan ownership group about um, the process that, that, that it should take, with, with many things mentioned in the statement. So what was your reaction when you saw the statement on Saturday? I was completely unsurprised, even though I resigned several weeks ago and so haven't been closely involved in what has br- whatever has brought this to a head. However, I've got a reasonably good idea. I wasn't surprised because I think this has been building for quite some time. However, I thought that was quite an extraordinary thing to do. I don't doubt that uh, myself and other colleagues, other fans, by reacting to this will be criticised because, oh, you, you know, we'll put the team off or what have you. But we were not the ones who decided to pull the plug on the whole process uh, with virtually no notice on a Saturday afternoon. Continuing direct to defend themselves. But I thought it was absolutely extraordinary that three black cats with their sole director basically said of the TGF directors that they weren't really fit and proper people to be in charge of a football club. Now, two of them are sponsors of the club. (laughs) One of them has raised, I think, in the region of £80,000, largely through our own efforts, to help the club. That is an absolutely extraordinary claim to have made, and it is grossly unfair. Now, I, I have published stuff saying why I left that it wasn't about, you know, there's, there's no personal uh, animosity to other directors. It was about tactics uh, and the approach, perhaps, to, to Three Black Cats and, and, and the owner, the current owner of the club. Um, but I thought that was a disgraceful way to treat them, to be perfectly honest. Because I know for a fact that all of these people have put a huge amount of time into it and they have bent over backwards to try to do whatever it is that TBC have wanted of them, which has never really been very, very clear. They really bent over backwards. And in the process, I think, got quite a lot of flack from fans, some of it justified, not exempting myself from blame, um, but then to be treated as if it was all their fault. (laughs) Well, I, I do know that they're not very happy, several of them not very happy about it. Would you be? Would you continue your sponsorship of the club in these circumstances? Hmm, I don't think I would. So it was a very strange thing to do. And I don't really think that the you know the, the official reasons really hold water. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that we are not going to just give up on fan ownership or the Jags Foundation. The current director said today that we're going to stand down as a group, which I think is a very honourable and proper thing to do. Um, but a number of us intend to organise to make sure that, that replacements are found. All fans, they'll all be fans of long-standing of the club, um, and that we will be calling upon, are, we are calling upon TBC to explain what these criteria are that would make people fit and proper fans to be in charge of a football club. What, what exactly is it? 
And where is the authority for this? Did Colin Weir state that there had to be a certain number of members, for example, or that there could only be certain kinds of people? I mean, if the club's sponsors aren't fit and proper people, you really have to wonder which of us would be considered <laughs> to meet that criteria. And I think that we will then make, and I don't necessarily intend to run again myself, God knows, but we would we have discussed this and we will make every effort to meet any reasonable criteria that tier three black hats might have, any reasonable criteria. However, that doesn't include, first of all, the argument about due diligence, which I think is one of the things that's brought this to a head, which I can go into in a minute. That sounds and is quite a dry topic, but actually does matter to fans because at the end of the day, this is about how good a team can we get on the pitch and what kind of stadium are we going to play in. Uh, the second extraordinary thing and another thing which really isn't negotiable is that the working protocols, again, it sounds dull, but it's really important, um, which were presented as the basis for how the relationship between a fans organisation owning the club, it would interact with the day-to-day -day running of the club by the football club board. And those have been put forward and we're told on Saturday by TGF that those were rejected out of hand, their words. Now, I know for, for certain that those protocols are exactly the same as those in place at every other fan-owned club in the UK. Indeed, much of a cut-and-paste job from the likes of Motherwell, Foundation of Hearts, Exeter City, Wimbledon. All the clubs that have gone down this road have used something very, very similar. And yet this common and successfully used form of fan ownership, which this has not really been to the fore yet, has apparently been, quotes, rejected out of hand. Again, not really negotiable. The third non-negotiable element for this is <laughs> if I mean, there is mention that some other vehicle will be found to take ownership of the shares. If the intention is to set up some kind of fake organisation with hand-picked fans chosen by club directors who don't really have any say, don't really have any of the rights of ownership, which are in law, which would be standard for everyone, uh, then that's not going to be acceptable either. Well, I just wanted to come in on this because I, I've mentioned this several times myself previously, but I give the example of the Patrick Thistle Supporters Trust from a couple of years ago. So before Colin Weir bought out the other shareholders to make it a majority shareholder, there was the Partick Fiscal Supporters yeah. Trust, which was a, a fan-owned group who owned shares. They could not be sold or anything like that. They could. They were entirely within the club and in the face of the fans. However, the criteria for being a member of the Supporters Trust, like I was never allowed to be a member of the Supporters Trust because I, you had to have a season ticket for, I believe it's minimum yes. of three years. I yes. worked three out of four Saturdays at the time. So there was no point in me buying a season ticket for several years. So it means I could never sure. be a member of that. It's only in the last, so actually since the pandemic has been the only time where I've been able to go to every game on a Saturday and buy a season ticket and make my money's worth back on it. But I was always, I because I remember I, they had open nights and you would go and it was, you know, the board, it would be Jackie Lowe, Jerry Britton, and someone else who's well known within the club who are the three representatives yeah. there speaking to you. 
Um, and it's it was kind of there was always this dichotomy of well, this is meant to be the group, the organisation which holds the board to account. So these are people who are acting on behalf of the fans to raise concerns to the board about the board. The problem yes. is when the people who are raising concerns to the board about the board are the board, that doesn't work because, well, exactly. you're, you're not going to do you're, that. You're yeah, exactly. On. You, are, you are bang on. And not only that, but the... Uh, <laughs> so effectively, that trust is under the control of the current board of directors. And not only that, the fan representatives, the, the people who are season ticket holders don't have any rights and probably don't hear much about it at all, I would guess. I'm in a similar position to yourself. But the people that are supposedly there representing fans uh, have not been elected for many years. My colleague Sandy Fife has researched this and points out that, in fact, the trust is in breach of its own constitution. Raises some interesting questions. Leave that aside. If there is going to be some attempt to suddenly say, look, oh, look at this. It's a fan organisation. We all sit on it. That's OK. Right now it owns the club. Uh, we're not going to simply accept that lying down. Again, going back to the sort of the support structure previously, um, like the one of the things that attracted me to the Jags Foundation was the fact that anybody could be a member. You could be a sort of honorary donor who puts a pound in. You could be your £10 member with voting rights. You could be, you know, higher members and you get to put in extra money and you got extra benefits and stuff like that. And that was really good. And there was a lot of talk about anyone off the street. You can be someone from one of the nomads from Amsterdam. You can live down south. You can live in Glasgow, whatever. And you would have... I say you could vote in the AGM, you could you could vote and stuff like that, and you could raise concerns to the board. Then yeah, I mean I'm used to working um, in the charity sector in you know an open and transparent environment. Sometimes that's not all that comfortable, but there's no question that any of our volunteers, volunteering charity, can look at the accounts of the organisation and, and come and ask questions about it. They're all there. They're published. Charity accounts have to be in a lot of detail. And if folk and I have to be accountable for all of that, and if folk don't like it, they can and they do tell me that it's a pile of crap and need to do better. And I don't see, you know, the benefit of fan ownership, I think, is is the same that it would allow firstly to plan for the future, but also it would allow, you know, and you'd expect as a member that the directs of the organization, the directs of the club are going to be straight with people. You know, if there are financial issues, if we needed to go part time, say, all right, it's not just going to suddenly happen over your head or has happened back in the 90s in the Save the Jags day, which I vividly remember. We got something like two to three days notice that Saturday might be the last game ever. And that sort of thing should never, ever happen again under a kind of proper fan-run organisation that never could. Going to Save the Jags, I mean, just obviously, because obviously you lived through Save the Jags, I have vague memories of it when I was, but I was a kid at the time, so I, I wasn't, you know, fully into it as, you know, see yourself or other people, maybe of um, an, an older age than myself, but mm-hmm. what, what was Save the Jags like for, for you? Like, what are your memories of Save the Jags and what can we learn from it? Um, it was horrifying, actually. Uh, the the situation, it was the 59th minute of the 11th hour that we found out and it was remarkable that so many people came forward but it could easily have been too late i think one of the main recollections of it is that i think i'm right in saying it was st Mirren we were playing on the saturday could that it was st Mirren here united I, it was one of those two 
Anyway, their fans turned up in huge numbers, mainly to gloat, but they filled the ground in cash. And if they hadn't done that, I don't think we would still have, we would have played another game. It was that serious. The club had no cash to pay people. Uh, and this happened because of total lack of transparency, because of unsuitable people on the board, because it happens to football clubs time and time again. I think there have been, I think I checked this out, 12 of Scotland's clubs have gone into administration. Indeed, twice. So 13, if you count that, uh, since 2000, which is a mm-hmm. dreadful record. Dreadful record. So, you know, there's a strong, strong argument, aside from democracy and all the rest of it, for fan organisations that just don't, you know, aren't are going to be accountable and aren't going to let this kind of thing happen. Absolutely. No, definitely. Like Again, like, obviously... I think there can sometimes be a bit, a bit of misconception about like fan ownership and stuff like that in terms of fans expecting to know everything about the club. And obviously there's sure. going to be things that general fans like myself won't know because no. of course not. It's the same with any business. doesn't matter how it is. There's going to be things that happen behind closed doors that are not privy for fans. Stuff like, for example, I don't know, players wages and stuff like, that. like you're, you're not going to just come out and go straight absolutely not and you know that's that's you know absolutely not the point at all to, just to kind of illustrate the sorts of things that normally are within the kind of remit of a, a fan on board though um of course it's not about day-to-day management it's certainly not about telling the manager what to do or anything of that sort but you would expect to see a budget at the start of the season you would want to have that approved You'd want to see some evidence of planning. There's actually a vision to take the thing forward. And if you're happy with all of that and the general performance, then great. You know, the day-to-day running of the club is the football club's board and the rest. That has worked perfectly well everywhere else uh, in the UK, as I said. You couldn't have the club's colours changed. That's a huge thing. Or its name, thinking of Hull City or Cardiff, I think it was, where, you know, the owners felt that blue was you know their traditional color just wasn't lucky enough so they would change it the strip colors you know controversial sponsors the kind the david goodwillie situation these are the kinds of situation where you would expect the club board to be actually seeking authority to, to do any of these, and that's exactly what the working protocols put in place you know it's a framework for for working but it does make clear that ownership means control and ultimately, if the fan board doesn't like what is going on, they would have the right to change it. You know, and you know, sometimes you see some fans who will say things like, "Well, you know, just aren't people in Partick Thistle who could do that?" But this is nonsense. This doesn't. This absolutely doesn't. Folk who run organisations who have responsible jobs, who are really smart and capable. The idea that they wouldn't be able to kind of take a high-level view of the strategy of the club and make sensible decisions uh, while other fans can. I mean, really? No, no, no. This is this is just nonsense. I think it's yeah. the same for Sorry. any club in that a, club, a club's fan base is a broad diaspora, regardless of who, who it is. It doesn't matter if it's Fissel, it doesn't matter if it's Rangers or Celtic or, you know, Air United or Broomhill or whatever, like, the whole point is, is that the fan base and the people that are involved in them are not from a homogenous. No, they're not all from like round the back of the stadium and live in that wee area and all think the exact same thing about every issue and have the same experiences. It's not like that. You have people who are in, you know, in 
uh, high high up jobs you've got people who are more creative you've got people who bring things like so for example can give the voice of like you say younger people or people from say yeah. ethnic minorities disabilities stuff like that we are not all this homogenous blob of one there isn't a Partick Thistle fan and um, we obviously no, have the stereotypes about you know the the Pishdane JK and the you know the weed smoking student and all that from chewing the fat yeah, yeah. but Indeed. at the end of the day we are you know there is a, a, there is as many fans as there is different people here and they all have different experiences and they can all contribute stuff for certain and it's it's not that we're having votes on which team to put out on a Saturday or anything like that I still think maybe some people are labour under that misapprehension but if I, maybe I should just backtrack and talk about the whole due diligence thing because that is what I think has precipitated Jackie Lowe's action and the kind of most recent problems. I started by saying that it's quite, it sounds quite a dull subject, but it's a standard business process and it doesn't really make any difference that the shares are a gift. How, how should I put it? If you were given a mansion by uh, some eccentric elderly relative, on condition that you moved in, uh, you had to live there, and you had to be responsible for all its upkeep forevermore, uh, you probably wouldn't just say, oh, yes, I'll, I don't need to see it, and I don't need to know what state the roof is in. <laughs> and that's the best analogy I can think of for why these kind of financial checks are important. And it is really worrying to that several of us who are from an accounting background that the club has persistently refused to go along with this routine business process. The suggestion was that, well, they would just share information through other means. Well, I can tell you that up to the point where I signed and a few weeks after, I don't think it was any different. No information of any sort, no financial information, no meaningful information was shared with the directors of so people are in the dark, and you can see this from some of the statements they put out after I left. You know, they're referring to concerns from publicly inf- available information. In other words, really, they were having to read the accounts like the rest of us to try and make, make any sense of it. And the thing is, David, is that there are uh, reasons from those accounts to want to ask more questions. There's no two ways about that at all. If you look at the Three Black Cats accounts, you can see that in the season before this one, it ran through some £800,000 odd of its cash. Now, it's a reasonable assumption, I think, that at least some of that has gone on propping up the budget for the team. Perhaps the same thing has happened this season, but there isn't much more. That's just, again, just reading the accounts. There isn't much left now. So you also have the money that Caroline Mackey raised to help the Jags money. You have... In the early part of this season, there will still have been COVID grants for furlough and the like, which probably ran to a few tens of thousands. You have got money from Queen's Park for the rental of the ground. Uh, These are all sums which won't be available to us next year. So what happens? I think I I was talking to somebody earlier on about this. And while diligence sounds dull and why would you fall out over that kind of thing? but what do you think the fan reaction would be if any group of directors took took on the ownership of the club, right, as fans were all pulling it together, and one of their first actions was to come along to fans and say, uh, we need maybe a £1,000 ahead, could you run to that, guys? Because 
the ground is in terrible state and you know there's a big we've got to uh, make up the difference because we haven't got anyone to ground share this year there would be all hell to pay no group of directors no group not the people who were there not anyone that came in to replace them not anyone who replaced them could possibly take on those kinds of liabilities without knowing more about it and you can see for just the most obvious example apart from worries about you know have we actually got enough money to keep the same standard of team on the pitch i don't know is the state of the ground now thistle is but we're not talking say the jacks too like let me be quite clear on that it's not about to to disappear and i don't think any of us is, is suggesting that however how are we going to tackle these kinds of issues you know relaying the pitch it's been talked about putting in a hybrid one very expensive club doesn't have that sort of money how are we going to borrow currently it doesn't even you know tbc still owns its the ground uh, and they've also made a great thing about being debt free although you know that's not a bad thing if you're using it for investment purposes but you know there, there's a significant amount and that's before you even start to talk about the state of the general state of the main stands and the like so uh, same point same point if a group of fans took over responsibility for that and then find that there's a gigantic liability for it, yeah, no one's going to say, thanks very much. What a great job you've done. <laughs> um, I feel I feel confident of that. One of the the arguments that, that raged through much of, uh, you know, the Jags Foundation and people agonised over, people knew that they needed to ask for this and it was being no, 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 there's no need for this. It's not necessary. I think, I hope I've tried to make you make clear why it is necessary. And the, the, the chair of the club made a great thing about how even asking these questions showed that we didn't trust her and that was terrible and couldn't work with people that didn't trust her and all the rest. But there is a big difference between trust and faith, as I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, I, I think it's less a case of tr- trust and just general common courtesy to be honest to be able to if you are if you are taking over the sort of responsibility of something to have a clear vision of what you're taking over and not have any sort of holes in your in your knowledge so to speak i think one of the the concerns not necessarily for myself but like when reading a lot of it a lot of people have kind of focused on far hill and the state of far hill to kind of stir up this panic a little bit where it seemed to go from a couple of weeks before when we, were, when we were winning games, it was hmm. all fine, and then we lost four games, and suddenly is this Farhill is suddenly this shanty town. There, are, all the stands <laughs> are falling apart. We we That's play in a favela. Um, yeah, people are going the state of Farhill, and I'm like, yeah. yeah. That's no, well, listen, what, what what I'm talking about? I, do you know? Actually, I would love to just get back to shouting at the manager and the players and worrying about that i really would yeah but this isn't just about how we do on one saturday or even one season this is about how we move the club forward in the longer term i put some stuff i posted stuff on facebook when i was still on the foundation which i absolutely stand by which is that i think that a good and effective management structure with fan ownership can actually really bring things together develop new income streams, bring new supporters in. That's probably one of the most important things you can do. Really lean into our kind of status as the, the, the third club and not the old firm. 
I think I think before I joined the foundation board, I, I did so with a kind of vague sense, just as an experienced manager, that things seemed a bit, you know, disorganized and that we could do better. Now I'm absolutely convinced of that that is the case. Absolutely convinced that that's the case. And it might take a good while, probably take a good while, but I don't see any reason in principle that with an effective management with a clear clear plan, clear long-term plan, a vision to drive the club forward, we can't establish ourselves and have an ambition of, I mentioned winning a trophy again, please God before I die. You know, getting to the Europa Conference League these days isn't completely out of the question. Uh, which would give Jack's fans a fantastic away day. You know, these are real, reasonable and realistic goals. I think that we can do that. But the problem that I see is at the moment, um, while you could certainly argue that it was the right thing to run through lots of money and, you know, through COVID and what have you, you could argue that, but that's not sustainable. We can't go on like that. We need, I feel that we lurch from one season to the next. We're almost off the pitch. I know on the pitch, absolutely, but off the pitch as well. But there are lots of short-term initiatives which don't have any depth or roots and they're not really you know, consulted with the fans. It's like more of a PR stunt. Um, Partick Thistle Family Club, remember that one? You know, they, they sprang up, they die away as quickly as anything. And just from a from a manager's perspective, it doesn't plan and build for the future. Uh, and if there's one single thing that I think that the fan ownership can, can really get the teeth into, other than just being open and honest with people, that's it. Have effective long-term plans in place, even if that means digging in in the short term. It's one of the, the beauties of fan ownership in that you can plan for a project and people can get behind it. Because if you if you have, I say, five, ten-year project to turn the club around and you're seeing games towards that project each year and fans feel they're part of it more fans will come on board and you know they when they get a part of it and they see progress they'll, they'll be more inclined to stay there and in, in invest more not necessarily in money terms but in terms of their time and just you know supporting the club and yeah, you know, they, they might end up buying another season ticket or, you know, something like that or putting in a bit more into the, the foundation. And again, you look at like the Hearts and Motherwell models and stuff like that and places like Wimbledon, um, where, I mean, Wimbledon's a great example of that. I mean, going back to Plough Lane after, you know, yes. being evicted in like 1990 yeah. odd and then go to Selhurst Park and then being dotted about, sent in Milton Keynes, starting all over again and then getting back to Plough Lane. Quite a, I'm quite a big Wimbledon fan, have been for right. years, obviously. It's, oh, it's that's interesting. David. I, I am too. From my time in London many years ago, I actually watched Wimbledon at the old Plough Lane yeah. uh, in the Vinnie Jones days. And it was, it, I, I, I picked that out because I was a Thistle fan when I went worked in London. And could I go into anyway, Arsenal, the rest? No, no, no. What Thistle, self-respecting Thistle fan would go and watch them? No, I went to watch Wimbledon. But the point, I think, is that although they have been they're struggling, they have managed that. They brought themselves back from the dead. They have an excellent stadium in their original home. It was, I was blown away by the, the quality of the stadium and the atmosphere. People were really behind it. You could see there was a great sense of togetherness. There was about 8,000, which is more than you used to get in the, in the old First Division, to be honest. 
Um, and you just know that that club will be okay because it's it's uh, it's well backed. It's sound. You know, you might be up and down on the field, but the, there is a longer term and play, play, plan in place, and in a in a good, suitable size stadium. Uh, and yeah, of course, that's the kind of thing that we we, we should aspire to. Um, yeah. So you know, I, none of this is about oh god, we lost four games in a row badly. In fact, uh, so that means that everything is a panic. I, listen, I'd be saying the same things if we'd won the last six games in a row. Yeah. What I wanted to ask just about. Um, obviously, your time in the Jags Foundation. Um, I think one of the one of the things that fans have maybe felt about the Jags Foundation at the time there was a, there was a lack of communication at the time. Obviously, we've had a raft of um, statements over the mm. last couple of weeks, but you would go several months paying your direct debit without any sort of. Oh, I think, uh, do you know what? I think that's probably fair, and I take my share of responsibility for that. At times, definitely. What I would say, however, was that it was really difficult for us to make meaningful progress. It really was. And so without being able to communicate positively and with, frankly, an attitude from the club, which was not helpful, <laughs> I can understand why, you know, rather than put out a whole lot of platitudes, it didn't happen so much. However, I still think so. In other words, rather than put until very recently, rather than put out statements which says, you know, we've had this series of meetings and we're just not getting anywhere. We've asked for diligence to be done and we're told no. <laughs> they didn't. I, I, this is the point where I actually disagreed and argued that we should much more forthright and stand up and really look for the club to behave in a professional fashion. Which I'm sure would just have brought the whole thing ahead sooner rather than anything else. Let's not forget ourselves. But I, people were really trying very hard not to upset uh, the chair of three black cats, you know, not to. Uh, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. They just didn't want to rock the boat and do or say something which would see, you know, the whole thing shut down. And lo and behold, as soon as they did, that's exactly what happened. So yeah. that that said, I do think that is a fair criticism and uh, one which needs to be addressed by whoever comes into it next. Yeah, so obviously you mentioned earlier about the statement that's coming out. You talked about how it's various fans from different backgrounds, young, old, mm-hmm. notable mm-hmm. names, names from... Um, the Jags Foundation, you obviously mentioned Sandy Fife and stuff like that. The yeah. letter just so it's basically an open letter to the to the club from. It's an open letter to the fans. Actually, it's structured as an open letter to the fans, saying quite a few of the things I've I've been talking to you tonight about. Basically, we're not going to let fan ownership or Colin Weir's die. We're going to organise to make sure that people are found to take the place of those who have resigned. There are uh, lines in the sand. We are completely happy to talk sensibly for the club and to meet criteria that they set if these are, again, reasonable and sensible. But there are certain things which I've outlined that actually aren't negotiable. It's got to be real. It's got to be democratic. We've got to know, have to know, what the true financial position is so we can be honest with fans about what might be needed. and really, that's that's the gist of, of what is being said. And there are some 
quite well-known names. I actually it may have gone out while we've been talking, actually, obviously, I'm going to check. It's not an attempt to set up yet another fan organization. It's an attempt to keep uh, the Jags Foundation alive. And it's an attempt to deliver meaningful fan ownership. I uh, think it will be interesting <laughs> to see what response is provided. But as I said earlier, if they are going to continually ignore a democratic organization, however imperfect, in favor of some kind of hand-picked band of trustees, there's going to, we're not simply going to let that, that ride and shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's, that's what Colin Weir wanted, because I don't think it is. And where can we see, so where will this statement go? It will go out on the social media of all of the signatories. Right, okay. So it's just if a it's not already, within the next 24 hours, expect to see this on everybody's Facebook, Twitter feeds, everything that we can find to put it on, actually. But it's, it's a call to the club only insofar as we are asking them to be explicit about what these mysterious criteria uh, to be fit and proper to receive the shares. What might these be? Especially, as I said, if top sponsors and the like aren't deemed appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the likes of you and I, well, certainly me, probably wouldn't be either, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not really an acceptable position. It's not a defensible position. So I would hope that the club uh, directors will review what they are doing and adopt a more constructive approach. Um, I, I've seen, um, I think they've actually just started coming out now in the last minute or so. Yeah, so nine o'clock. So I think they've there you go. Just, yeah, there you so go. I, I, you I, heard I it here first, as they like to say on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, it came out. Yeah, I seen it. I just typed in Patrick Fissel, and then suddenly nine o'clock, bang on. I saw yeah, I the first <laughs> the first dribble of um, ones have came out. So no, and that's fantastic. So you can refer to that directly if you need it. Then, when anyone who's listening to this, you know, if you haven't seen the, the statement we put out, please do. If you've got any questions, concerns, you know, if you just want to talk to us, we're going to be around a lot more. Um, I suppose the thing that uh, you know, deep down. All of us are real diehard Patrick Thistle fans, real diehards you're talking about here. And as was mentioned there, across the city you have in Queen's Park a club with uh, an astute uh, investor and owner, a very capable chief executive, a new ground in the final stages of completion, a very active community programme. If things continue on their current trajectory, it is quite likely that they will overtake us in a few seasons as Glasgow's third club. And frankly, with no disrespect to them, we don't intend to let that happen. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that's something that we, we would all echo. Um, you Again, you look at Queen's Park and the sort of changes they made since going from the, the wee bowling club that, ha- that operates at Hamden office and then kind of been coming into a more professional organisation like yeah they're, they're making great strides and it just shows you that you know clubs can make yes. strides and they, yeah. they can make progress so the you know fan ownership doesn't mean that you would never take additional investment for example if somebody wanted it short of outright ownership and control this does happen you mentioned Wimbledon and they have significant investors who hold shares but they don't have control of it. They've got a minority shareholding and are quite content to, to sit on that. It's quite likely we'd need to look for something similar. 
But you know, this is all we if, if let's get the share transfer done, let's get to grips with this, uh, and really drive this club forward in the future, not just go from one season to another reacting to whatever results we get on a Saturday. No, absolutely. Um, well, thanks again, Stuart, uh, for coming on. It's been really um, chatting to yourself and hopefully we'll um, have more from yourselves and the other signatories um, down the line to find out more. For, Happy to hear someone else or come back and do it in six months and see where we're at. <laughs> definitely. And, and for the sake of balance, just to make, make it obviously aware, we are perfectly happy to have Free Black Cats or Jackie Lowe or um, anyone from the Jags Foundation, anyone involved in the club or whatever who wants to come on and respond to this or you know respond to the statement or you know the Jags Foundation statements or whatever. We are very happy to have a chat. We are, you know obviously again this yeah, is about transparency. It's about yeah, making things available. So yeah um obviously too. absolutely um, but thanks again Stuart. Um, All right no, and pleasure talking to you. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye now. finish as we always do with our partridge thistle question and i'm going to ask you both if you could retrospectively produce a netflix insider documentary on anything that has happened to date so it can be football sport life in general anything what would you choose uh, reese i'll start with you I, f- I feel like you'll like this question oh man nah, I-, I love that question and there's so many that i'd love to see a, a netflix documentary on and I'm trying to link it to this one somewhere. Uh, oh, I, 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 gen- I don't know. I don't know. Give me one minute. If Jamie's got something, I hope, I hope Jamie's got something this week. I'll be right back with you. All right, Jamie, pressure's on. I just think um, it, I think it'd been really interesting. You know, when all the board medical round was going on and there was constantly chopping and changing about. Who is the chairman? Who is going on? Just imagine a camera filming all of these every single board meeting, just kind of like something until I die. And you got to see all this kind of chaos going on. It would have been really interesting to see what was actually happening and why everyone was leaving and coming back. So we never really got the full story out of that. So obviously, like Sutherland Till I Die, all of these Netflix and Prime documentaries, there's always like a David Brent type figure. I think Martin Bain was the one in the first season for Sunderland. Who would be that? Who would be that person in the in the Fur Hill? Uh, corridors, do you think, Jamie? <laughs> I, I don't know. Gary Caldwell? <laughs> That's true. Good shout. Good shout. Reese? Uh, I've, I've got one. So basically, remember way back there, when we won the first division title many moons ago, back in 2013, we obviously had the, the fog machine down at Cowden Beef, and <laughs> that basically won as a league if you look, look things back. But then, so I'd have a Netflix documentary like that, like this mysterious fog machine, and it just disappeared, and then it came back. It came back 10 years later at Far Hill, Rafe Rovers at home, and make it all, like, you know those serial killer documentaries, and you've not heard them <laughs> for 10 years, and then the Zodiac killer reappears with a, with a cipher, it'll be like that, but it's the fog machine at Far Hill. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, I always think, like, 
failure is more interesting to watch than success in these sort of documentaries. I'd quite like one for the relegation season because I know Archie came out and said, oh, guys were dead quick to want to leave at full time after the Livingston game. I'd be fascinated to see how like the last three or four months of that season played out because eh, like, guys like Abdul Osman coming under a lot of criticism and end up being dropped. Ryan Edwards, I think, sort of very quick to leave. Relegation clauses activated all over the place. I think from maybe the January transfer window of that season to maybe two weeks after the season, that sort of four or five month period, I think that would make for a really a really good documentary. And Jamie, actually, I was thinking about one for, for Doctor Who as well. A, a documentary back in like 2004 or five when they were about to reboot it, I think that would be a good one. I'm sure you'd tune in there because I know you've got you all night of love. But yeah. I would indeed. Uh, you've got to rely on Confidential these days for that. Uh, bring, bring back Confidential. Why hand for that? I know, I know. Rest in peace. Well, I might be back with Russell T Davies on his, his heroic return. You never know. As always, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Draw, Lose or Draw. We'll be back next week to look back on the game against Wraith at Furhill and to look ahead to our home game against Inferland the following week. In the meantime, stay safe.
That is Dunfermline we're playing the week after, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, smashing. 